tell the assassinated presidents play together in a four-on-four recreational basketball league. JFK plays point, Abraham Lincoln plays center, and McKinley and Garfield play small and power forward. The presidents face a team composed of prominent Renaissance thinkers, Johannes Kepler, Tycho Brahe, Niccolò Machiavelli, Sir Francis Bacon. Galileo is the alternate. He watches from the bench. Sir Francis Bacon drives on JFK in the lane, and JFK easily swats Bacon's attempted skyhook out of bounds into the nearby river of boiling blood and fire. The ref, a fearsome ram-horned demon, blows his whistle. He calls JFK for a shooting foul. Are you kidding me? says JFK, tossing his arms up in protest. All ball, ref. All ball. Francis Bacon lines up to take his free throws. He bounces the ball three times, touches his sweatband to his forehead and chin, recites brief passages of his philosophical masterwork, the Novum Organum, under his breath. Meanwhile, JFK keeps jawing at the ram-horned ref, baws at him, says he knit himself a sweater with the ref's mom's wool last night, tells him a little Bo Peep call that she wants him back, and the ref whistles JFK for a technical. Please, Jack, says Garfield, take heed of the virtue of civility. Stick it in your ear, Garfield, says JFK. The 35th president of the United States and his teammates saunter up to their blocks alongside the free throw line, and Sir Francis Bacon, a 67% career free throw shooter, shoots two. His first attempt is perfect, nothing but net. Bacon's teammates congratulate him in German, Danish, and Italian, and the Renaissance thinker's sexy prom-night tragedy girlfriends whistle and cheer for the bleachers. The ball bounces along the court and comes to rest at JFK's feet, and in a peak of nor'easter rage, he scoops up the ball and punts it as hard as he can into the river of boiling blood and fire. The ref whistles Kennedy for his second technical. The King of Camelot is ejected, and the assassinated presidents, down to three players, forfeit. Good game, good game, say Garfield and McKinley, touching hands with the intellectual giants of the Renaissance. JFK storms off the court while muttering obscenities and violent threats. Honest Abe, in his ill-fitting jersey and mesh shorts, slips away wordlessly and walks home alone along the seventh circle of hell's endless suburban drives, courts, avenues, landings, and parkways. Lincoln passes the local blockbuster, the Dairy Queen, the Ruby Tuesday, the Piggly Wiggly. He passes two McDonald's, three Subways, four Walgreens, five Starbucks. Just past the Olive Garden, Honest Abe sees old Tippecanoe, President William Henry Harrison, approaching on the sidewalk. Harrison gives Honest Abe a small chin nod. Honest Abe gives Harrison a small chin nod back. The two ex-presidents pass each other, heads down, paces quickened, no words exchanged. They trudge on, on opposite, lonely trajectories, along the suburban sidewalks of hell. Honest Abe stands in line at Burger King. The line has barely moved for a good 20 minutes. At the front of the line, the ruthless, sadistic, Wallachian prince, Vlad the Impaler, points agitatedly at a picture of a spicy chicken crisp sandwich on the overhead menu and shouts at the girl at the cash register in guttural Romanian. The girl says that Burger King is out of chicken, but Vlad is unswayed. He pounds the counter, gnashes his teeth, 
knocks over cardboard promotional displays, screams that the fry vats of Burger King will cook the counter girl's skin into a golden brown, and the ketchup dispensers will run red with her blood. Hey, pal, keep the line moving, says a mob hitman from Hoboken. Vlad the Impaler grabs the cash register and smashes it over the hitman's head. At the back of the line, Honest Abe feels a tap on his shoulder. He doesn't turn around. Hey, says a voice behind Honest Abe, you're Abraham Lincoln, aren't you? No, says Abe, still faced forward, his long, bony fingers fidgeting with the brim of his stovepipe hat. On Sundays, the assassinated presidents meet at McKinley's house to play poker. They play five-card draw, seven-card stud, Omaha eight, Texas Oldham. McKinley, like the other assassinated presidents, lives in the seventh circle of hell with the murderers and thugs and rapists and genocidal maniacs. Ted Bundy lives in the seventh circle of hell. So do Hitler and Stalin and Lee Harvey Oswald and John Wilkes Booth. Jeffrey Dahmer owns and operates a Kansas City-style barbecue joint there, next door to a Red Lobster. Mussolini and Pol Pot share a duplex right down the street. No one has ever explained to the assassinated presidents what they've done to deserve eternal hellfire. They've all been told to file formal complaints with their local branch office of the Bureau of Fire, Brimstone, and Damnation. Their local branch office is in a strip mall. The office's neighbors are P.F. Chang's and a 24-hour check-cashing and payday loan store. Across the street is The Hex, H-Triple-X 98.9 FM, Hell's favorite soft rock station. The Hex plays Brian Adams' Everything I Do, I Do It For You, all day, every day, seven days a week. Honest Abe waits in the lobby of the local fire, brimstone, and damnation office. He has a 2.30 appointment with a caseworker named Sheila to discuss the afterlife placement appeal he filed 146 years ago in 1865. In the lobby, the damned read decades-old Better Homes and Gardens and Good Housekeeping magazines. Honest Abe reads the November 1960 issue of Ladies Home Journal. The cover models are Pat Nixon and Jacqueline Kennedy. Jackie O, thinks Honest Abe, gazing at his friend's glamorous ex-wife. Mary Todd sure never looked like that. Honest Abe hasn't seen Mary Todd since the surprise denouement of the Ford Theater's April 14, 1865 production of Our American Cousin. Incoming souls have told him Mary died in 1882, but no one in hell has seen her since. The other assassinated president's wives are likewise absent from hell, as are their parents, grandparents, nieces, and nephews, aunts and uncles, children. McKinley has started a new family. JFK has enjoyed the company of innumerable gorgeous damned women. Garfield has become a model railroad enthusiast and has gained mastery of the five-string banjo. Honest Abe has had a few flings over the last century and a half, but nothing serious. Nothing that lasts. Honest Abe walks to Thomas Jefferson's house. Lincoln can't legally drive. He's earned too many points on his license. Jefferson, who lives in the gated community Satan's Meadows, is Abe's only friend in hell, besides his assassinated 4-on-4 basketball teammates. Abe rarely fraternizes with the other dead ex-presidents. He finds them pompous, egotistical, self-serving, uncouth, 
a TV producer once approached Abe and Jefferson about starring together with Washington and Teddy Roosevelt in a Seinfeld-inspired sitcom called Rushmore, but Abe declined the offer, as did Jefferson. Fox Hell bought the rights to Rushmore anyway, and scored a massive ratings hit with Andrew Jackson playing the Jefferson role and Richard Nixon playing Honest Abe. Jefferson, in the early days of his damnation, was a ubiquitous figure at all major Seventh Circle of Hell social functions. He was a regular at the Murderer's Ball, the Parade of Rapists, the Blasphemer's Annual Roast. But lately, he has retreated into reclusion. There are rumors that he is depressed, that he has a $500 a day coke habit, that he is recording the follow-up to his late 90s rap opus, It's All About the Jeffersons. But Honest Abe knows the truth behind the sage of Monticello's self-imposed exile. He has seen the maps and almanacs and cursive-filled composition notebooks covering the floors of Jefferson's study, bedroom, bathrooms. He knows it isn't depression or drugs or East Coast hip-hop that keeps Jefferson stowed away in Satan's meadows. No, Jefferson's obsession is the pursuit of a door, a path, a portal, a ferry, a rabbit hole, any possible exit that can shepherd him safely from hell. Hey Lincoln, shouts a young man from inside a passing Chevy pickup with Confederate flags and the silhouettes of naked women on its mudflaps. Think fast! Honest Abe thinks fast, but not fast enough. He thinks, not again as a quarter turn toward the pickup reveals a high-velocity water balloon hurtling inescapably for his face. Kersplash. Water and cheap rubber latex explode against Lincoln's chin, soak and pepper his beard, knock off his stovepipe hat. The Chevy accelerates away. The young confederates inside high-five and whoop. Six Semper Tyrannus, mother f- hoots the young man, sticking his head out the window. The South arise again. Honest Abe, discomfited and damp, retrieves his hat from the sidewalk. He has already walked for nearly an hour. A rebel with a water balloon is not going to turn him back. Abe reaches the entrance to Satan's Meadows and tells the gatehouse guard to dial Jefferson's number. The phone rings and rings. Jefferson doesn't answer. What happened, chief? says the guard, eyeing Lincoln suspiciously. You lose an argument with a lawn sprinkler or something? Answer the phone. Answer the phone. Answer the phone, thinks Lincoln, as a line of visiting cars grows ever longer behind him. This is Lincoln's hell, waiting in lines at Burger King, at the Bureau of Fire, Brimstone, Damnation, at the gatehouse of Satan's Meadows. He was the great emancipator. Now he is the great waiter. Hey, pal, keep the line moving says a sodomite from Corpus Christi, Texas. The phone rings. The cars honk. The guard taps his finger on the gatehouse glass. Honest Abraham Lincoln, the great waiter, waits.
Scientist Abe selects cantaloupe at the Piggly Wiggly. He scans the cantaloupe for bruises, compares their coloring, shakes them, taps them, listens to them, feels their weight. He holds each cantaloupe in his hands, considers it, puts it down again. He walks away, his shopping cart empty. None of the melons feel quite right. In the dairy aisle, Honest Abe sees an ex-girlfriend, Deborah, pushing a cart with President Martin Van Buren. Flustered, Abe abandons his cart and ducks into the canned bean and soup aisle, where he hides behind a towering stack of Campbell's cream of chicken. Hi, Abe, says Deborah, spying Abe's stovepipe hat sticking out from behind the soup stack. Hello, Deborah, says Honest Abe, his face still obscured by a Warholian wall of cans. Abe and Deborah make small talk, Abe still squatting behind the Campbell's cream of chicken. Meanwhile, Piggly Wiggly patrons stroll leisurely past. They push carts, carry baskets, they select chickpeas and scrutinize soups. They consult lists, clutch coupons, scan for savings. They read the nutrition labels of broths, bouillon cubes, black-eyed peas, baked beans. That was Brian Adams with Everything I Do, I Do It For You, says a DJ for 98.9 FM The Hex over the Piggly Wiggly's unseen speakers. Now let's switch gears a bit and go back in time to the magical year of 1991. The Soviet Union has collapsed. The Persian Gulf War has ended. Jeffrey Dahmer has been arrested after the remains of 11 men and boys were discovered in his Milwaukee apartment. And one song rules the airwaves. Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do It For You. On 98.9 FM, The Hex. Honest Abe's basketball team plays against a squad of noted Spanish conquistadors. The conquistadors' starting lineup is Cortez at point, De Soto and Pizarro at forward, and Ponce de Leon at center. Ponce de Leon, 4'11", competes against 6'4", Abraham Lincoln for the opening tip-off, tossed into the air by a zebra-shirted, snake-haired Hellwraith. Honest Abe mistimes his jump, and Ponce de Leon improbably bats the ball to DeSoto. The nimble conquistador buries an uncontested 18-footer from the top of the key. God damn it, Lincoln, JFK snarls. Get your head in the game. After the game, which the assassinated presidents lose on a miraculous buzzer beater by reserve conquistador guard Vasco Nunez de Boboa, Honest Abe and his teammates go for a consolatory dinner at Outback Steakhouse. Garfield orders grilled chicken on the barbie. McKinley orders the no-rules Parmesan pasta. JFK orders a round of Great Barrier Ritas and scrawls his phone number on a drink menu for the waitress. Honest Abe orders the walkabout soup of the day, which in hell is always onion. Just after the presidents receive their margaritas, four dapper men with southern accents are seated at an adjacent table by the hostess. The men wear black suits, dark ties, black Stetson derbies, patent leather shoes. McKinley recognizes one of the men, the only one of the four with a mustache, but can't quite place him. He looks like an actor, thinks McKinley, but from what TV show, what play, what film? Is that Ryan Gosling, James Franco, Matthew McConaughey? Then, the answer hits him. Hey Lincoln, says McKinley, don't look now, but you're nine o'clock, John Wilkes Booth. 
JFK and Garfield crane their heads, see Booth reading the drink specials. Egads, says James A. Garfield. Awkward, McKinley adds. JFK rolls up his sleeves. All right, Abe, what do you say we go and kick this dandy play-interrupting Johnny Reb's ass? No, that's okay, says Honest Abe. Well, then how about I just go kick his ass? I'd really prefer that you didn't. JFK takes another look at John Wilkes Booth. The actor assassin is approached by a pair of pretty southern bells who sheepishly ask for his autograph. Kennedy pounds his fist on the table in frustration. Christ almighty, Lincoln, says JFK. Grow a backbone, why don't you? All game Ponce de Leon owned you in the paint, and you've got almost a foot and a half on him. What the hell's the matter with you? Honest Abe says nothing. He sips at his Great Barrier Rita, spreads butter on his honey wheat bushman bread. John Wilkes Booth signs a pair of napkins for the Southern Bells, and they blush and gush their gratitude. How's everything? says the assassinated president's waitress, passing by their table. Good, says McKinley. Everything's good. lobby of the fire, brimstone, and damnation office, waits for the ancient receptionist to call his name. Ivan the Terrible, she says. Ivan the Terrible? First name, Ivan? Last name, the Terrible? Has anyone seen Ivan the Terrible? Honest Abe has been waiting for his first meeting with an FBD caseworker for almost a century and a half. His appointment is scheduled, then cancelled, then rescheduled, then cancelled, then rescheduled and cancelled again. He has read the November 1960 issue of Ladies Home Journal cover to cover several hundred times. Sometimes he takes the magazine with him to the bathroom, gazes at pretty Jacqueline Kennedy in the privacy of a stall. The Ladies' Home Journal's cover is noticeably creased. Honest Abe always folds the cover, so Pat Nixon is no longer visible. Honest Abe lives alone in a tiny apartment. The faucets drip, the ceilings leak, the hot water doesn't work, the kitchen crawls with ants. At home, Honest Abe does crossword puzzles and reads entertainment blogs and watches TV. He flips through the channels, happens upon Rushmore. Washington and Teddy Roosevelt bicker in Washington's Upper West Side apartment, argue about whether or not it's socially acceptable to dump a girlfriend just because she excessively uses air quotes. Richard Nixon, as Lincoln, bursts in, utters his customary catchphrase, What's cooking good looking? The studio audience erupts in applause. Honest Abe shuts off the TV and calls Jefferson. Jefferson doesn't pick up, and Abe leaves a short message on Jefferson's voicemail. Abe scans through the contacts in his cell phone. Allison, Diana, Jessica, Lindsay, Marguerite. He lingers on some of the contacts, hastily skips past others. Honest Abe puts his phone down, snacks on pretzel sticks, stares at the blank TV screen. Begrudgingly, he turns the TV back on, 
watches a commercial for Miller Lite. Miller Lite, says the voiceover, for the last 30 years, the number one beer in hell. Honest Abe works at Old Navy. He greets customers, mans the cash register, monitors the fitting rooms, restocks board shorts and tankinis and cargo pants. Though Abe worked for many years as a lawyer in Illinois, he isn't licensed to practice law in the underworld. He's been meaning to apply to take the seventh circle of hell bar exam but ever the great procrastinator keeps putting it off. Excuse me, says a 20-something Old Navy customer, holding a pair of gray drawstring capris. I like these pants, but couldn't find any in my size. Do you have any petite smalls? Honest Abe, lost in a daydream of impressing his cute Old Navy co-workers with a stirring recitation of the Gettysburg Address, doesn't respond. The customer repeats her question. Excuse me, sir, do you have this in a petite small? Four score and seven years ago, Honest Abe says in his daydream. His co-workers excuse themselves from customers and gather in the women's swimwear section to listen to him, wrapped. Excuse me, Abe, says the customer, reading Honest Abe's name tag. I'm trying to find a... Wait. No way. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, you're Abraham Lincoln! Honest Abe, snapped out of his daydream, is suddenly overwhelmed with dread and terror. Um, welcome to Old Navy. How can I help you? Would you like to save 10% today by signing up for an Old Navy card? It's easy. Just fill out the simple form. Thank you for shopping at Old Navy. He blurts out mechanically. The customer stares at him quizzically. Uh, excuse me. I need to check something in the back, says Honest Abe, lumbering gracelessly toward the stock room as the store's sound system plays everything I do. I do it for you. Presidents play a night game against the Holy Roman Emperor's A-Team. The Presidents defeated the Holy Roman Emperor's B-Team last week, handily, but the A-Team is led by the 4-on-4 Recreational League's leading scorer, Emperor Charles V. Okay boys, remember the defensive game plan, says JFK, minutes before tip-off. Remember to talk, watch the backdoor screen to Charles, be aggressive with Charlemagne, contest every shot, don't give up the baseline to Otto the Great. Hail to the Chiefs on three. One, two, three, hail to the Chiefs! Lincoln jogs over to the bench, picks up his phone, tries to get a hold of Jefferson before the game begins. 
his call goes straight to voicemail. Jefferson hasn't answered Abe's calls for almost a week now. Lincoln is worried. But what is he worried about? It's not like Jefferson might have died. He's already dead. Still, Jefferson's silence troubles him. Has he been hurt? Has he been arrested? Has his secret search for an exit from hell been discovered? Or has he found the exit? Is he on the other side? Has he found the passage to paradise? Hey Abe, game time, says JFK from the court's center circle. Abe puts down his phone and saunters to half court, shakes hands with the Holy Roman Emperor's A-team starting four. Garfield adjusts his protective goggles. McKinley adjusts his orthopedic knee brace. JFK mouths call me to the Holy Roman Emperor's consorts on the bleachers. Honest Abe prepares to take the tip off, imagines Jefferson leaving hell via a secret bookcase, down a water slide, up an elevator, on a ski lift, through a hole in a chain link fence. The ref tosses the ball. Abe forgets to jump. Otto the Great gains possession and dishes to Charles V. God damn it, Lincoln, says JFK. Honest Abe imagines leaving hell on a red eye, leaving hell through a fire exit, leaving hell through an open doorway, curtained with muslin and hanging bamboo beads. staggering amount of junk mail, Geico, Capital One, Costco, the Trump Institute, the Republican Party of Wisconsin, the Church of Scientology, oh, the Oprah Magazine. Most of the mail is addressed to President Zachary Taylor, but some, such as the subscription solicitations from Hustler, Jugs, and finally legal is addressed to Taylor's nickname, Old Rough and Ready. The line in the post office is serpentine. It snakes out the door, onto the sidewalk, goes all the way to the drive-through of the checkers next door. There are five employee workstations, all of which are empty. The people in line vent their frustrations and every conceivable language, German, Korean, Tagalog, Malayalam, Hittite, Vulgar Latin, Aramaic, Ancient, Greek. Honest Abe, at the tail end of the post office serpent, drifts into a daydream. He is debating Illinois Senator Stephen A. Douglas, and Jackie Kennedy is watching him from the audience and hanging on his every word. JFK never talks about Jackie. When drunk, he brags about betting Angie Dickinson, Marilyn Monroe, Jane Mansfield, Kim Novak, but he never mentions his wife. Why? Honest Abe presumes JFK misses her. He has to. Mary Todd was no Jackie Kennedy, but Honest Abe still thinks about Mary Todd every single day. Maybe JFK misses Jackie too much to talk about her, remember her, utter her name, is to acknowledge that he is lost. Maybe for Jack Kennedy, the only way to endure his wife's absence is to pretend she doesn't exist, that he was never the King of Camelot, that she was never his queen. 
what can be lost if you have nothing to lose. Honest Abe plays poker at the McKinley's. McKinley's new wife, Cheryl, makes the assassinated president's nachos grande and serves them Long Island iced tea. McKinley met Cheryl while standing in line at the local Kroger in the early 90s. McKinley likes to joke that the line at Kroger was so long he met his wife in breakfast cereals, fell in love in luncheon meets, and proposed in frozen dinners. JFK says it's a stupid joke and McKinley should stop repeating it. Cheryl loves the joke. It kills her every time. So I've got a girl for every day of the week, right? Says JFK, dealing the assassinated presidents, their cards. A Monday girl, a Tuesday girl, a Wednesday girl, etc. But damned if I can ever keep them straight. Like, last week, I accidentally showed up at the Tuesday girl's place on a Monday, and she's all excited. Oh, Jack, I thought you always worked late on Mondays. Did you take off work just for me? And I'm like, of course, baby, I took off just for you. But in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, Christ, Monday girl's waiting for me right now. But if I leave, Tuesday girl's gonna be if I don't leave, Monday girl's not going to want to see me Tuesday. And then what am I going to do Tuesday? See Tuesday girl again? I don't want to see Tuesday girl on Monday and Tuesday. That's not how the system works. It's Monday girl on Monday, Tuesday girl on Tuesday, Wednesday girl on Wednesday. It's a perfect system. But then my dumb dyslexic ass has to mess everything up. The other presidents study their cards, maintain their poker faces, sip their Long Island iced teas, you know what you need, says McKinley, betting $5. One of those seven-day pillboxes. Why would I need a seven-day pillbox, says JFK. You keep a tiny picture of Monday Girl in the Monday compartment of the pillbox, a tiny picture of Tuesday Girl in the Tuesday compartment, and so on. Every time you go to visit one of your girls, you consult the pillbox. You've eliminated the possibility of mental error. And, maybe, you also use the pillbox for herbal supplements and vitamins. It's a quick, easy way to a healthier, less stressful you. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, says JFK, who raises a Kennedy half dollar just to be an ass. After several rounds of both poker and Long Island iced teas, Honest Abe mentions to the other presidents that he's worried about Jefferson. Tells them how he's tried to reach Jefferson every day for the past week, but all his calls go straight to voicemail. Ah, the Red Fox, says JFK. Don't worry about that guy. You know how he can be. He's probably on day seven of a crazy two-week bender right now, bumping lines and downing Singapore slings in some faraway circle of hell with some crazy hot heretics and carnal malefactors and false prophets. He'll be back. American presidents in hell always find their way home. Honest Abe rubs his temples. Cheryl makes a particularly strong Long Island iced tea. I don't know, says Honest Abe. He hasn't been like that for the last year or so. He doesn't go out anymore. I'm the only person he talks to, the only person he sees. And he's working on something right now. I don't know if I should tell you about it, but... Is it the successor to his popular late 20th century musical recording, It's All About the Jeffersons? asks James Garfield. Ah, oh, hell yeah, says JFK. It's All About the Jeffersons is my jam. The nachos grande run out. The poker and drinking continue. By 10 o'clock, JFK is $200 richer. Garfield is vomiting in the guest bathroom and McKinley is passed out on his own dining room floor. Honest Abe sits in a recliner in the living room, looking at the pictures of McKinley and Cheryl on the mantel. McKinley and Cheryl at a basketball game. McKinley and Cheryl on the tilt-a-whirl. McKinley and Cheryl at the altar. McKinley and Cheryl 
on the river of boiling blood and fire. Four score and seven years ago, Honest Abe thinks, as he gazes at McKinley's and Cheryl's pictures. Four score and seven years ago. How many years is the score again? Ten? Twenty? Fifty? Twenty. So four score and seven is... is... God damn it, I'm never drinking Long Island iced tea again. By quarter after ten, Honest Abe is fast asleep. He dreams he is building a log cabin for Jackie Kennedy, according to her exact specifications. There are guest rooms, and a receiving room, and a Florida room, and a rumpus room. Everything is just right. Everything is made out of logs. When the cabin is finished, Honest Abe invites Jackie to see her new home for herself. He puts a blindfold on her, leads her through the undergrowth of the Illinois forest, sits her down on a tree stump, tells her to take off the blindfold on the count of three. One, he says, two, but then, just as he's about to say three, he's overwhelmed by anxiety. What if she doesn't like the cabin? What if he got some of her specifications wrong? Why would she want to live in a log cabin? Anyway, she's Jacqueline Kennedy. There are currently many other available building materials that are far superior to logs. She's gonna hate it. He knows she's gonna hate it. He's ruined everything. He leaps in front of her. Wait, don't take off the blindfold. Don't take off the blindfold. Don't take off the blindfold. He stands her up, rushes her through the forest, hails a taxi and tells the driver to take her to Camelot. But what was in the forest, she says, as he takes off her blindfold and pushes her into the back seat. Nothing, says Honest Abe. Nothing. Nothing at all. guard at Satan's Meadows, asked if he'd seen Jefferson in the last week, if Jefferson had said anything about a trip or a vacation, but the guard said he wasn't authorized to disclose that information. It's okay, said Honest Abe. You can tell me. He and I are both presidents. I'm Abraham Lincoln. Sorry, pal, said the guard. I loved you on the penny and the five dollar bill, but there's nothing I can do. office. The lobby is packed. There are no seats available. So Abe leans against a wall next to a potted plant. In the private investigator's lobby, the damned read People, Us Weekly, Mira, Star Magazine. Abe is surprised that the private investigator's office even has a lobby. In the film noirs he's seen in hell, the mysterious blonde dame always seems to just waltz right in. Honest Abe waits in the office for an hour, then gets tired of standing. 
he asks the private investigator's secretary if he can just speak to the PI later over the phone, but the secretary doesn't understand him. She only speaks the extinct Baltic language, Old Prussian. Does anyone here speak this woman's language? Honest Abe asks the other damned in the lobby. No one responds. They are all transfixed with their peoples and us weeklies. Honest Abe dejectedly leaves the PI's office and stops at the pharmacy next door to buy his skin ointment. At least the trip to the strip mall wasn't a complete loss. He walks home, past Radio Shack, Bed Bath & Beyond, Long John Silver's, Abercrombie, and Fitch, and wonders who else could help him find Jefferson. Washington? Adams? FDR? Reagan? No, thinks Honest Abe. Those guys. All those guys are pricks. Honest Abe passes KFC, Pizza Hut, TGI Fridays, and sees President Rutherford B. Hayes walking toward him. Clutching President Hayes' arm is a shapely college-age girl who, as she draws closer, sharpens into focus, becomes more and more familiar. Please don't let that be her, thinks Abe. Please don't let that be her. Please don't let that be her. But it's her, Wanda June, Honest Abe's most recent ex-girlfriend. Abe pulls the brim of his stovepipe hat down low over his eyes and darts through oncoming traffic to the other side of the street. Hey, Lincoln, says a motorist, stopped at a red light near the hyperventilating 16th president. Think fast. Lincoln thinks fast. He thinks as he sees an entire carton of eggs hurtling toward him. Who keeps a carton of eggs in the passenger seat of their car just to throw at passing American presidents on the street? The egg carton is thrown impeccably. The impact sends yolks and shell shards flying in every direction and knocks Honest Abe on his ass. Wooey! yells the motorist, thundering off as the light turns green. Welcome to the dirty south, Lincoln Log! On the opposite side of the street, Rutherford B. Hayes and Wanda June keep walking arm in arm, pretend to have not witnessed the drive-by yoking. Honest Abe groans, shell-shocked, on the sidewalk, and Hayes and Wanda pass a Dairy Queen and spontaneously decide to stop in for mint Oreo blizzards. This union must be preserved, Honest Abe had told Wanda June when she had said she wanted to break up with him. This union must be preserved? What the hell was I thinking? Cars honk as they pass, crumpled Lincoln. The South arise again, Confederate war dead shout from their Dodges and Fords. The South arise again, the fans and dead members of Leonard Skinner shout from their Chevy pickups and SUVs. This union must be preserved, thinks Lincoln, yoke covered on the sidewalk. He rises, struggles to keep his balance, then falls. He does not rise again. up in a hospital bed. JFK, Garfield, and McKinley surround him. McKinley's wife Cheryl, though not present, has decorated the surrounding area with flowers. 
a young nurse stands off to the side, writing a report on a clipboard. JFK has already solicited her phone number, work schedule, and home address. boy," says JFK, clapping his hands as Honest Abe opens his eyes, sees his gathered friends. We knew you'd pull through. Besides, how bad could it really be? You've already been fatally shot in the head. Honest Abe rubs his eyes. He cranes his head, looks at all the beautiful flowers, roses, tulips, chrysanthemums, lilies of the valley. The great orator tries to speak, but doesn't know what to say. The flowers are from Cheryl, says McKinley. She said to tell you she's sorry she couldn't be here in case you woke up while she was at work. She sends you her love. By the way, we had to forfeit against the fathers of Western philosophy today, says JFK, so just be glad I'm standing here all lovey-dovey instead of sending you to intensive care. Garfield clasps Honest Abe's hand. A nobler man, he says, a braver man, a man more prone to violent head injuries I have never known. Honest Abe's eyes well with tears. He squeezes Garfield's hand. If this were the number one sitcom, Rushmore, the studio audience would go, ah. Instead, McKinley rests his hand on Honest Abe's shoulder, and JFK squeezes the young nurse's ass. Kissing up, oh, oh, oh. we kissing up, oh, oh, oh. all this lack of other body makes me give it up, oh, oh. makes me give it up, oh, oh. for anything is decided. Don't you want? Abe, diagnosed with a concussion, returns to his apartment after being kept overnight for observation. McKinley drives him home, helps him decorate the apartment with Cheryl's flowers, gives him a bear hug, and tells Abe to call him or Cheryl if he needs anything at all. Honest Abe takes some ibuprofen, sits on the couch, turns on the television, he watches a commercial for Jeffrey Dahmer's famous Kansas City-style barbecue joint. It's always delicious at Dahmer's, says Jeffrey Dahmer. Honest Abe flips through the channels. He glimpses brief moments of Sixteen and Damned, dancing with the usurers, a Who's the Boss rerun, skating with celebrities in hell. Mostly, he glimpses commercials, in hell, the commercials have commercials. Pitchmen hawking mildew cleaners are interrupted by film trailers. Women discussing their yeast infections are interrupted by beer ads. Celebrities endorsing political candidates are interrupted by political candidates endorsing medications for erectile dysfunction. Honest Abe flips to VH666, catches a behind-the-music on Thomas Jefferson's rap opus, It's All About the Jeffersons. Hell is hell, you know, says Thomas Jefferson in an archival interview. That's what I was trying to convey with It's All About the Jeffersons. Jefferson. Abe had called him from the hospital, but once again only got Jefferson's voicemail. Maybe he has found a way out of hell. What other explanation could there be for his disappearance? Abe imagines Jefferson crawling through a sewage pipe, climbing up a beanstalk, tunneling through soil and sand, emerging on the other side. 
What is on the other side? Is Mary Todd there? Are his children there? Robert, Eddie, Willie, Taddy? Abe had heard that Mary Todd had been institutionalized a decade after his death. Is she crazy on the other side? Is she young and beautiful? Does she perm her hair? Does she wax her bikini line? Does she wear Chanel and Givenchy coats and dresses like Jackie O? Is Jackie O on the other side? Is she waiting for him? Will she greet him when he arrives through a manhole, a sewer grate, a fire exit, a handicapped entrance? Abraham Lincoln, she'll say, extending her velvet gloved hand. Honest Abe, the rail splitter, the great emancipator, I've heard so much about you. When I first came to hell, I got caught up in that lifestyle, you know, says Jefferson on TV. Lust, alchemy, usury, simony, wrath, incontinence, greed. What are the benefits, thinks Lincoln, to reaching the other side? What are the pros, the pluses, the boons, advantages, incentives? Is there no line at the post office? Are there no traffic jams on the freeway? Does a Whopper taste like a Kobe sirloin? Does a KFC famous bowl taste like foie gras? Is there still sadness on the other side? If there is no sadness, then can there still be happiness? Why is there something inherently sad about happiness without sadness? Will Abe not miss his ex-girlfriends on the other side? Or will his ex-girlfriends all be there? Will they all love him simultaneously? Shower, saturate him with love? Will love transcend love on the other side? Or will there be no love? Will love be made obsolete by something else, something greater, a cosmic force beyond anyone's comprehension? It was so easy, so accessible, says Jefferson. Go to the sixth circle of hell, roll with the heretics. Go to the second circle of hell, pick up some carnal malefactors. Go to the third circle of hell, wolf down some all-you-can-eat chocolate-covered chicken-fried bacon. Will Abe miss hell on the other side? If he doesn't miss hell, won't that be a little sad? To not miss JFK, Garfield, McKinley, Cheryl. Will he simply forget them? Will his memories of them be overwritten with alternative, fraudulent memories? Will all past tragedies, accidents, failures, mistakes, disappointments be permanently wiped from his frontal cortex, replaced with fabricated picnics, beach trips, nature walks, boat outings, fireworks displays? Isn't that sad? How could that not be sad? Was it too long before we got into the hard says Jefferson. Treachery, sorcery, blasphemy, false prophecy. Abe wonders about the weather on the other side. He wonders about the condition of the other side's lawns. He wonders if there is road construction, if there are parking meters, if there are towway zones, loading zones, alternate side parking regulations, fire hydrants, handicapped spaces. He wonders if there are fires. He wonders if there are handicapped. Lost all interest in politics, science, architecture, agriculture, technology, geography, philosophy, says Jefferson. All I cared about was the next seduction, the next blasphemy, the next flattery, perjury, the next sowing of discord. Or what if there is nothing on the other side, thinks Honest Abe. Nothing. What a difficult concept to wrap your head around. Is it better to be something than nothing? If so, why? What is the point of something? What is something's purpose? Nothing means no war, no fear, no betrayal. It means no scorched earth, no weeping widows, no humans owning humans, no evil, no death, no pain. But it also means no Mary Todd, 
No Robert, Eddie, Willie, Taddy, No JFK, Garfield, McKinley, Cheryl, No Jackie O, Pretty, Jackie O, What are the costs of something, of nothing? What are the benefits? What would you choose? What if you could choose? I was in hell, man, says Jefferson, staring off to the side of the interview camera. I was in hell, deep. Abe changes the channel. He changes the channel again. He watches sports bloopers, talking heads, funny cat videos, the seven millennia forecast. This millennium will be hot. The next millennium will be hot. The millennium after that will be hot. Abe watches commercials. He watches commercials commercials. He watches James Bond marathons, police academy marathons, Air Bud marathons, the first 10 seconds of Smokey and the Bandit on an infinite loop. Four score and seven years ago. Four score and seven years from now. James Bond will still be ordering martinis on Hell's televisions. Four score and seven years later, Air Bud will still be inexplicably shooting free throws and running the pick and roll. Four score and seven years after that, the same ten seconds of Smokey and the Bandit will still be infinitely looping, Burt Reynolds' name appearing and disappearing and appearing and disappearing again and again and again and again. We cannot dedicate, Honest Abe had said, in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. We cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. Honest Abe watches Burt Reynolds' name appear, disappear, reappear. Abe changes the channel. An excitable man invites him to not wait, to act now. Abe changes the channel. Beautiful, skinny women urge him to buy deodorant, chew tobacco, enlarge his manhood, save starving, orphaned, disease-ridden children. Abe changes the channel. George Washington delivers a stand-up monologue. Teddy Roosevelt slips on a banana peel. Richard Nixon, as Lincoln, says, What's cooking, good-looking? Abraham Lincoln, the Ancient One, the Rail Splitter, the Great Emancipator, changes the channel, changes the channel, again. Who's the person you love? Who's the person you
taste of ice. 